Today's a big day. It's not just Halloween, but the climate summit in Glasgow begins today. It's kind of a midterm exam to see how the world is doing on hitting the goals of the Paris Accords six years ago. Spoiler alert, not so good. I don't know what's scarier, Halloween or COP26. I was looking at some of the news this, this last week about the summit, and I ran into this one conversation with the actor Joanna Lumley as she was on a BBC morning show. Take a listen. I think it's in the Times newspaper today, and I think the headline is saying, you know, you, you're sort of advocating a return to sort of some sort of rationing in terms of what we eat and, and how we sort of go about our lives. So how do you respond to the people who might be watching this this morning saying, Joanna Lumley, I like you a lot, but why are you lecturing me on sort yes, of exactly. what I should do with my life? Well, at some, I'm not lecturing. I'm just saying that in the war, some things, when it came to crisis, we had to say you will have two ounces of butter a week. I'm sorry, that's because this is the world is in a crisis. It's wartime. This is a different kind of wartime. And I think that it wouldn't be too bad to have some kind of sort of voucher scheme so that we can we can sort out. You go, well, I don't want to do foreign travel. So these are all my air miles or whatever, which I can convert to something else. And maybe we're allowed X amount of meat. We all know that eating a lot of meat is what's damaging the planet. We've got to cut down. I'm not saying to everybody stop it. We're mm. just saying cut down, cut down. Think about things. You know, just be aware. Oh, the second after I heard that, I cringed. Because you know what people really, really hate being told to do? Sacrifice. No, no politician ever wants to talk about sacrifice, giving up something that you want or you like. It's not popular these days. And it literally took seconds on social media before the first accusation was made that Joanna Lumley is a communist. Welcome to life in the 2020s. It's hard to imagine this nation coming together for any reason. The great Gandhi once said that there can be no true worship, worship of any kind, without sacrifice. And, and I know that religion has a, a bad name these days. But the one thing that religion has always taught is the importance of sacrifice. There is an ancient story from our Hebrew scriptures that tells of a time when the nation was in the midst of a plague. Sound familiar? A sickness that was killing tens of thousands of people. A prophet and advisor to King David named Gad told David to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana from Jebus. So David went up following Gad's instructions, just as the Lord had commanded. Arana looked up and saw the king and his servants approaching him. Arana rushed out and bowed low before the king, his nose to the ground. Arana said, why has my master and king come to his servant? David said, to buy this threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, so the plague among the people may come to an end. Then Arana said to David, take it for yourself and may my master the king do what he thinks is best. Here are oxen for the entirely burned offering and here are threshing boards 
and oxen yokes for wood. All this your majesty Arana gives to the king. Then he added, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. No, the king said to Arana, I will buy them from you for a fair price. I won't offer up to the Lord my God entirely burned offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built an altar there for the Lord and offered entirely burned offerings and well-being sacrifices. The Lord responded to the prayers for the land and the plague against Israel came to an end. I won't offer up to God offerings that cost me nothing. That's old school. And no one can say that King David was a communist. A statement like that comes from a place of knowing the importance of sacrifice. Of knowing that all of us, from the leaders of the land to all the rest of us, are asked to give something for the common good. That's ancient wisdom. Something that religion shared with generation after generation. And yes, there were those who perverted the teaching for their own selfish purposes and not for the common good. And sadly, because of that, religion has become known for going after your wallet. And today, there are very few who have ever even heard a single positive thing said about sacrificing for the common good. That's a sentiment of the builder generation of the Second World War, when the rationing that Joanna Lumley mentioned actually took place. It's a sentiment, a value of religion that speaks from the past. And I think it's manifestly evident that the more individualistic generations since the Second World War have largely been unwilling to sacrifice for the common good. You know, it's strange. Religion for millennia taught the importance of sacrifice for the common good. And not so long ago, those who opposed the godless communists, they would call on religion for that. And now if you mention sacrificing for the common good, you are a communist. Whenever I hear people use that word, I keep thinking, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, Princess Bride. Anyway, the big summit in Glasgow begins today. Big takeaway, don't buy oceanfront property. And honestly, I can, I can feel pretty powerless. You know, it's, I know that if I sacrifice, you know, going on planes or driving plastics, and if I bring my personal carbon footprint to net zero, yeah, that's nice, but compared to the emissions of industries and nations, it, it really doesn't move the needle. 
And I, I was so proud that Colonial Church put solar panels on our south roof. They have made such a difference. We've reduced our church's energy bills 20%. And think about this, we have prevented 21 tons of carbon dioxide emissions. That's awesome. And those solar panels are already on their way to paying for themselves and helping this church community do our part. But yeah, again, compared to the emissions of industries and nations, what we, what we did doesn't really move the needle. I was thinking years back, way back in 2013, we actually, that was the year we hosted our first online meeting here at Colonial Church. And I remember we had Bill McKibben right here on the chancel. He was on this big, loud, inflatable screen up here. And his organization, 350.org, was promoting a new initiative calling for divestment from companies that promote burning fossil fuels. And I remember this was strange to me, even then. He started this big initiative by focusing on faith communities. Now, no secret, but religion in this nation is not exactly booming these days. What influence do faith communities have today? Think about it. Can you name one nationally recognized religious leader in the United States that's under the age of 50? Rick Warren, the big name of the early 2000s, he's 67 now. Adam, down at the Mighty Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, he's in his late 50s. So why would anyone who is trying to change the world start with church communities? And let's face it, why smaller ones at that? It turns out that God still speaks through voices crying in the wilderness. That night, nearly a decade ago, Bill McKibben talked about the importance of faith communities for making a public witness for environmental justice. That was just one night here at Colonial Church with a, a few dozen people. But from that, it led to more conversations. Edith Guffey, our conference minister, who is retiring in December, who we pray for daily as she fights cancer. Edith then helped lead the creation of the first fossil fuel-free investment fund ever. They didn't exist before the church did that anywhere. And I moved a big share of my own personal pension, my retirement, into this fund against my financial advisor's advice. I won't offer up to God offerings that cost me nothing. In the national setting of the United Church of Christ, I was honored a few years ago to lead a general synod resolution to the floor to expand that fund that Edith had worked on, the Fossil Fuels Free Fund, and promote it more widely. Colonial Churches, our own investment committee, reviewed its investments in the light of all of that. Now, the United Church of Christ is a tiny Christian tradition. 
But as I said a couple weeks ago, God's power works differently. Even when we seem small and weak, by God's power, we can still make a difference. With our national setting, we took our story, our witness to others, to the huge endowments of places like Harvard and Yale. And do you know that just four weeks ago, after years of work, they divested themselves of 100 billion dollars. And Wall Street took note. Think about all the green funds that have popped up out there. Now, we have a saying in this church community that we're small enough to know your name, big enough to make a difference. There is still power in the values of faith. There is power in an individual sacrifice for the common good of all. We, you and I, are encouraged to present how we live, how we love, as living sacrifices. And that's ancient wisdom that we need right now. So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is. Because God's weakness is greater than the mightiest nation or industry. Again and again, we have seen that truth borne out. No sacrifice for the love of neighbor, for the common good, is ever in vain. This is the truth that we have seen. It is the truth that we will continue to proclaim because it is good news for this planet and for all who on earth do dwell. Amen. <laughs>